Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hi, John Schwab here, and welcome to a very special episode of the Curtain Call Theater Podcast. Episode 8 of our Come From Away series, Welcome to the Rock. Rarely have we had the opportunity to take you on a real deep dive into a show like we've been doing with this series. In this episode, you'll hear from the Come From Aways, the inhabitants of Gander, and the cast members from the West End and Broadway, including Olivier Award nominee Clive Carter. I've been around the block a few times, and I've never, <laughs> ever seen an audience react like uh, this show. Broadway actress Sharon Wheatley. It was very magical, the first, the coming together of the real people meeting all of us. And former Gander mayor Claude Elliott. I didn't know how we, how we were ever going to make a musical out of sandwiches and soup. And many, many more. And if you didn't know already... Come From Away tells the true story of when 38 planes and thousands of passengers were diverted to this tiny community in Newfoundland on the northeast corner of North America. And people were invited into uh, the locals' homes. They were given everything, fed, housed, uh, and people changed their lives there. They fell in love, uh, they, they made lifelong friendships, and it's this extraordinary story of kindness set against the backdrop of this terrible tragedy. You just heard the voice of David Hine, one of the writers of Come From Away. But why is this musical such a runaway success? What is it about the stories of people from a small rural community on a Canadian island and the actors that portray them on stage that makes this compelling show such a global hit? Find out in this episode of Welcome to the Rock. Welcome to the Rock! Come From Away shares the incredible real-life story of the 7,000 airline passengers from all over the world who were grounded in Canada during the wake of 9-11, and the small Newfoundland community that invited these Come From Aways into their lives. As uneasiness turned into trust and music swirled into the night, gratitude grew into friendships and their stories became a celebration of hope, humanity, and unity. Here we are at our final episode of the series. What a thrill it has been meeting so many fantastic characters. And in this final episode, you're going to hear from some of the most memorable characters from the musical and the actors that play them, including the lovebirds Nick, played by Robert Hans, and Diane, played by Helen Hobson in the West End, and Sharon Wheatley, who plays her on Broadway. Mayors Claude Elliott and Derm Flynn, played by Clive Carter in the West End and Joel Hatch on Broadway, and our local reporter Janice Mosier, played by Emma Salvo. As before, we kick all this off by finding out what our actors knew of the Gander story, if anything, before beginning their come from away journey. I do, I do, when they first mentioned it, I remember there was something. But like everyone says, I remember something about it, but knew nothing about it. And it's only when I looked online and did research, I mean, I love research anyway, but started looking online, I think, oh my God, this is like, what? 
what? I know it's a real eye-opener, I have to say. I was amazed. Well, I was even more amazed that I didn't know about it, actually, I think. Mm. I, thought, I thought that was quite shocking, really. And, you know, here, we're sort of New York-centric, so we only follow that story and not any story, you know. So uh, I had no idea about this. And so the first time I read the script, I was like, wow, that, wow, really? Mm. So it was, it was all just kind of overwhelming. Yeah, I didn't even know it was true when I was reading mm. it. And then I went and Googled. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess I don't understand why this story didn't sort of leap up to problems. Yeah, it's it's people weren't really in a place to hear good news of that, yeah. Uh, yeah. originally, anyway. Um, so I sort of see why perhaps we wouldn't have heard it. Everybody was displaced and people were in the wrong place. <coughs> and yeah. I have no idea. So the story of Gander and its surrounding communities were new to the performers and the companies have come from away. In order to get a further understanding of the piece, the actors involved started to meet their counterparts. I met Diane, the but, earliest, yeah, okay. so I knew that they were going to come to see the show in La Jolla. And Diane didn't come to the opening where other people met their people at the opening in La Jolla in spring of 2015. Mm -hmm. So um, I was in the lobby of the, show, of the theater and I saw Nick and Diane there and I think we mutually recognized each other and she was so cute she turned around she had on this bright blue polka dot dress and she goes well I think I know who you are <laughs> and I was immediately struck by two things one was how much they were genuinely in love and the other was just that there was no way that I would ever really be able to fully capture the awesomeness of her Houston accent mm -hmm. which was I went immediately to Chris Ashley and I said can I please do her voice closer because she talks like this and she even says idea like instead of idea yeah. and he said no one's going to be able to understand you <laughs> <laughs> any interview you watch with Claude, Claude takes over it doesn't matter how how clever how well established you are as an interviewer you've got no chance you've got no chance Claude literally and he's funny he's a funny guy I remember one, one this, he was talking to some guy from Denver and uh, the guy said, uh, is it true that you know you gave out, gave them everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you gave them your car keys? He said, yeah, yeah, just gave them car keys. Let them go. He said, weren't you afraid that they were going to steal your car? He said, we live on an island. <laughs> <laughs> Our first meeting was during the rehearsals, wasn't it? We no, had an opportunity. Oh, did you? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, the minute I was cast, yeah. Nick Marson is all over it. And um, he contacted me on Facebook, and it, there was his friend request, and I thought, and, and then a message, because I, I hadn't taken in the surname. I knew I was playing someone called Nick, I hadn't taken in the Nick Marston, so when someone called Nick Marston approached me, I thought, hello, what's going on here? Um, anyway, eventually, I read his message, and I thought, oh, it's him. So we had, a, oh, I don't know, an hour and a half chat on Messenger with me and him and Diane, um, and, and then we sort of rehearsals, mm. Uh, and then we did the same thing again one day yeah. in the afternoon, what, just as they got up or whatever. We, we, had a, we, we, we scheduled a, a chat. We did. We? we were at the back of the rehearsal room. And it was wonderful because that's the first time. I know they were close together physically because it's the little screen and that's what mm. they were doing. But they were physically very close with each other and really touching each other and being very sweet with each other. And they were so affectionate, weren't they? Holding hands we had a conversation about it afterwards and said, let's, let's just... No, we didn't have a conversation. It just started to happen. 
No, we didn't. We talked about it subsequently. It's so funny because you've talked about this show so much. Yeah. Now. It was afterwards. We've started to put that in as part of our kind of story. And that was the first time we had a conversation with them. The first time we met them would have been our opening night, wasn't it? In London. In yeah. London, yeah. And that was great. I have two people yeah. that can combined make Janice. They're just the most incredible storytellers. Mm. So you, you sort of want to listen to everything they have to say and you don't interrupt and they just keep going. And Brian is, oh, he's mad as a box of frogs, but he's so incredible. Um, it's about conveying their five days rather than them as an individual. Mm. Because yeah. I suppose you're, you're showing their knee-jerk reaction rather than... You know how that's a hard one to discuss. It's not really one that I've ever felt like before, where you're actually focused on the story so much more than focusing on the character, Mm. for want of a better word, because it is just about what they did. It's about the story, like Chris Mm. said. You know, you're not mimicking, you're not imitating. It it is, and the script is written in that documentary style to a degree where we're we're constantly sharing information with the audience from their perspective like they did in the interviews. Mm. So I think it's really refreshing to look at a a character per se uh, in a different perspective so that the audience sees it from that as well. I get messages now and again with pictures of, you know, I had the Christmas tree, the house, the family, you know, it's awesome. We send each other little text messages and all that. (laughs) It's cool. With these meetings taking place, stories that don't appear in the musical were starting to get shared. And we'd like to give you a little taste of some of them now. First off is Clive Carter recounting a story he heard from the rabbi, and then Joel Hatch from the Broadway cast relates a tragic story that had a positive outcome on the town of Gander. But the character for me, um, the one I haven't met, who no one's seen, is the Jewish chap, the Polish Jewish chap. And the only information I got there was by speaking to the rabbi. I met the rabbi twice, three times now, and I, that's the only way I could find out any information. And that rabbi was fantastic. He was, he was very warm and so desperate for the story, the, the, the whole story together, not just that story. And so I quizzed him about this guy and nobody ever saw him afterwards. They don't know, he was, he was about 87, 87. And he'd, since, since he was eight years old, he'd held that secret that he was Jewish. He hadn't told anyone he was Jewish. He never saw his parents again. His parents sent him over from Poland during the war. He never saw his parents again. Um, and, and even his wife, he didn't even tell his wife that he was Jewish because his parents had told him, you must not tell anyone you're Jewish. And he kept that in him, even though the safe haven of Canada. Of Canada. Canada. And still, it, it must have been so traumatic. Yeah. And the fact that, the, like the chance meeting for your characters meet and they find love, his chance meeting, there wasn't a rabbi in Newfoundland. There's a rabbi who turns up and what's happened and he feels he, can no lo- he can't hold it in any longer. And I found that, and also the way that the rev, the rabbi was telling me is, I mean, I find it, I get emotional. It is very Because it is this extraordinary story. I didn't meet Claude until Seattle, but he told me a lot more when we went to Gander. 
Uh, we spent several hours at his office in, at City Hall. Um, I didn't know that he was an EMT, emergency medical technician, prior to becoming mayor of Gander. And I didn't know uh, a backstory that was huge for him, which was that back uh, late 80s, late 80s 89, I think. there was a terrible uh, airplane accident at Gander Airport, a military transport plane, and it was U.S. men and women military taking off. The plane crashed. No one was saved. And he was an EMT at the scene. And he said it was the most helpless feeling he'd ever had. And he said, when this happened, the people, you know, when they were like going, oh my God, these, all these planes are coming. They said, we can finally do something. Mm. Yeah. We finally have a chance. Being an EMT, he told the city administrator, I want a, you know, an emergency plan book. Mm. And when this happened, he said, we went, we pulled that dusty book out of a, a shelf. And he said, we opened it up and there were all the phone companies numbers of everybody that was important to be in the room in that first hour and they were all there in that first hour and the numbers and he, were probably still all the same and, and they were yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. so and he said everybody was there everybody yeah. was on it and he said so by the time anybody got off the planes there were seven thousand sandwiches and and places for them to stay and everything was set One of the main story arcs from Come From Away is the journey of two of the characters who've become affectionately known as the Lovebirds, Nick and Diane. Interestingly enough, it's the one story in the musical that many of those who didn't know anything about the story of Gander found the most hard to believe actually happened. There's a wonderful story about our producer going to America to see it very early days when they were asked to get involved. And uh, it's John, and he went, and he said, oh, "I mean, he, he kind of he loved it, he liked it, but that love story there, you know, what's that about? <laughs> really?" And he That's came down. I think it was um, Randy that said, "I've got somebody I want you to meet," and there was Nick and Diane, and he met Nick and Diane, and he went up and he went, "Oops, it's all true. <laughs> Oops, let it stay." But who better to tell the story of the lovebirds than the original lovebirds themselves? I'm Diane Marson, and I'm one half of the Ludbirds of the show, and this is... I'm Nick Marson. I was a stranded passenger on Continental 05, 2001, and I met this wonderful lady. And he's the other half of the Ludbirds. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm the other half of the Ludbirds. Well, we were on the same plane. I was going home from vacation. My son and his family were stationed in the U.S. Air Force in England. I'd been there for two weeks, and I was on my way home going back to work. And Diane was at the front of the plane. I was at the back of the plane. I was going to Houston to work. And uh, I was one of the drunks at the back of yeah, the plane. Yeah, he was one of the rowdy we, drunks. We did, we did not meet on the airplane. We met at the, the shelter. This was the second shelter I'd been brought to. The first one was overcrowded, so I was taken 25 miles away from Gander to where Nick was. We met in line waiting for a blanket that smelled like mothballs. And I said camper, she said moth. And that was our first conversation. The next day, there was the looping news of, uh, that looked like a, a movie. We just didn't want to watch it anymore. It was and, too sad. Yeah. And so we decided we would go for a walk. And we went for a walk with a, a, a man and his wife. The wife was a doctor. And uh, they didn't make it very far because she just had sandals on and it was a gravel road. So they turned back, we just carried on walking. And 
My first experience with this American lady was that we came across a, a little store and we went in to buy a Diet Coke and some trail mix. I'm used to paying for everything because that's what British guys do. But I snatched them up because if I paid for them, he would feel like he had to stay with me so we could go sit on this nice little park bench in this scenic spot and talk. So we did. We chat some more. Yep. So yes. before the Dover Fault, uh, we were screeched in. The master of ceremonies, uh, he was a justice of the peace, when he discovered that we weren't married because he thought we were married, he offered to marry us. He said, well, would you like to be? And this lady here goes, well, why not? Why not? I'd had two and, beers, just like in the show. And uh, I did, I bought her two more. So when she said that, it's like, a yeah, little thing goes, oh, well, maybe, you never know. It, the next day, uh, they were going to take passengers. To, you know, they're trying to occupy our minds. And it was rumored that, that you know, this gentleman was going to take four people. So I made sure I was pretty close to Diane. I think she did too. So that we both ended up on the same little trip which was a trip to Dover Fault. Yes, I did take her picture. I really wanted a picture of this lady because at that point in time, I wasn't expecting to ever see her again. And I wanted a memory of that these four days really did happen. It wasn't just a dream you'd had. And I thought he wanted to see the scenery and take a wonderful picture of it. And he said, no, no, stay there. That's when I knew he's interested and, and in so, me instead of the scenery. So imagine this, I have a, a camera with no zoom on it and I'm trying to get as close to this lady as I can without her realizing I'm stalking her. And we were on a school bus going back to the plane and she was upset, she's a crybaby anyway. She was upset and she started to weep a little bit and I put my arm around her and in, like a true British gentleman, I went to kiss her on her forehead and uh, she well, wasn't having any of that. No, we knew we were leaving because we were going back to the airport. It was upsetting because you just sort of formed the bond with these people and you knew you'd never see them again. And oh, here we go again. <laughs> She's upset. Absolutely. If it hadn't oh, yeah. been for their kindness and generosity, we would have never met. Right. We, would have, we wouldn't have had these experiences. We wouldn't have been screeched in. We wouldn't have gone to Dover Fault. Right. Um, we wouldn't have had a place to stay or so, food to eat. So it's all their fault, really. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
he's backing with another one. It's a typewritten message, and he's written in his handwriting, for the love of God. So it read, for the love of God, stop bringing toilet paper to Gander Academy. At that point in time, a full school classroom was filled to the walls and to the ceiling with toilet paper. A year's supply, literally, in the room, and they had nowhere else to put it. And Mayor Claude has an ingenious idea for refrigeration. We were getting all this food. And, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's only going to be stored for so long. You can't keep it out. You have to keep it cool. And, I mean, you only had small refrigerators and that. And so I remember saying, I, I said to the town manager at the time, I said, geez, we got the rink up there. The ice is on because, I mean, hockey is big in Canada. I mean, and, and Newfoundland is no different. And there was kids playing and that. And I said, well, why don't we put all the food on the ice surface? Cancel hockey. But uh, that was a big decision because nobody wanted to lose their hockey, you know. But, uh, but we did. We turned it into a refrigerator and tractor trailer loads of food was just stored on the ice surface. We turned up the, the cooling plant a little bit more to make sure everything stayed cool. And we had people there 24 hours around the clock watching it and uh, uh, you know it worked fine so we ended up we I said to someone we had the largest walk-in refrigerator probably in the world at the time. The word started getting around to the real characters that their stories were going to be part of a musical and many of those involved just couldn't believe that writers David Hine and Irene Senkoff came through and delivered a major hit. Well, it was, uh, well, first of all, I guess when this all started, and we met with David and Irene, I, I'll be honest with you, and I was honest with them, I didn't think this was ever going to get off the ground. I didn't know how you, how you were ever going to make a musical out of sandwiches and soup and blankets and that, but uh, I figured that they were headed for welfare, you know, because I didn't understand musicals, and I'd never seen a musical. And I just, I, I just, I sit and remember saying to my town manager, I think we should have a fundraiser for them and help them out through life. But they did understand it. They understood. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. We didn't. Yeah. And we never thought that it would ever get to, you know, where it is today. Yeah. But the story is not about me. Yeah. It's not about us, that's the, you know, the eight or ten of us that's here. Yeah. This is a story about a community. And many communities, it's people. Yeah. And we want to tell the story that this is what the world should be like. Yeah. But it's going to take a long journey to get there. We're walking red carpets. There's a character in one of the biggest musicals ever written based on me and you. Did I ever see me and you walking red carpets? With well, cameras? maybe in your mind. Well, yeah, yeah, there was that dream I had that night, I know, but yeah, and you were awesome. Did you, you, did you, you really you, think you it was going to You look absolutely great. I look pretty good, too, uh, but I look, didn't look like me. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we were in New York, and I mean, we were walking down on the red carpet, and so over here, click, 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 and I'm going... Yeah. What is this? Yeah, it's been a really, um, it's been a, a surreal experience to I say mean, the least. I was a volunteer TV reporter in a town of 9,500. You know, I'd covered things like the A&W root beer chug where one kid threw up chugging root beer. You know, that's the kind of things I did. You know, I flew in a hot air balloon once and thought that was the pinnacle of my reporting career. And now it's like, wow. This is all, you know, this is not what we are. I mean, <laughs> and, and to make a musical out of what we did, nobody in Gander ever thought it would go where it's gone. But the thing is, everybody there feels good. They feel proud that they had the opportunity to help people in need. One thing that has become apparent through doing this series is that this musical doesn't just touch and affect those who are sitting in the audience. It has changed the lives of those who take to the stage every night to tell this incredible story.
I'm finding that I'm teaching myself to walk differently. And it's because of how this show has taught me I should be looking out for somebody who's probably having a really bad day. Just walking a little slower and looking around and going, yeah, that person's, well, wow, you know? And it's, it's just a different perception. But it, yeah, I used to be, I gotta get home or I gotta get to the theater. And now it's just give myself time to walk a little differently. It's yeah. the, the awareness for sure. Yeah. It sort mm -hmm. of opened my eyes a little bit more to um, how you see a stranger, I think. And the gratefulness is a big thing as well. Because mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not your typical storytelling job where you, you have a good time and be a bit self-indulgent with it. It's a really cool story to tell each week. Yeah. You know? It's really cool. Mm -hmm. to be um, able to say, yeah, I'm a little part of this. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a really special thing. And I've had to really check my behavior and not get like too frustrated if the elevator stops too many times or like not ace somebody out for a taxi. You know, just because it's, it's, um, it's become part of the fabric of our lives. That, that there's um, an expectation and then a desire to be of service and kindness. It's reaffirmed. You know, the, the whole thing about, as actors, when we do a show, we're not saving lives here. You know, we're just acting, we're not saving lives. But what I've discovered, we're not saving lives, but we're changing lives. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. And that's what I didn't realise before. And we are, when you talk to the audiences now, when you talk to these people, who've seen the show and how much it's changing them. And if we can do that, so it's reaffirmed. You think, yeah, now I, I know why I'm doing this. I'm doing this for a reason. And I've lost that reason. So it's given me that back. In purely selfish ways, it's given me that back. This show is also tremendously important to the Ganderites and Come From Aways, whose stories make up this musical. They know how important the message is and want it to continue to be told as long and as far and wide as possible. I really think that the world needs to see that every country, every city, every room has nice people in it. And it ma makes they, you a nicer person too. Yeah, Even if it's it just letting somebody out in the traffic, opening the door, opening smiling the door and saying good morning. Yeah, exactly. You know? I think one of, the, one, of the, one of the things that we lack the most is trying to understand each other's culture. You get to learn about other people's culture. You have a different understanding uh, and you've made friends from other countries. And I think that's important is to understand their culture. We don't, I don't have to eat kosher food, but I should be able to respect the person that do and love that person the same as, as I would love my, my own people. The, the message from the musical is, is really 9, 12 and beyond. And, uh, you know, a little good news and a little good, uh, good thoughts, good friendship, a little uh, respect for others and, and uh, just accept people as people. We look at the person as a person, not as possible enemy or a, or a, or a possible threat to you. It gives us an opportunity to learn about other people and realize that we're all human at the end of the day. 
just because we may look different or we eat different foods or we do things a little differently and you have an accent and we don't, it doesn't mean that we're, we're different. You know, we are, we are humans. And, and I think that's the important thing about yeah. the show. It's about, you know, helping your fellow human and, and being there to lend a hand, serve a cup of tea, shovel the driveway, you know, do whatever needs to be done just to make someone feel cared about. Yeah, it's like I said, and you are here. It didn't matter for the, that week who you voted for, what church you went to, what color you were, who you worshiped to, uh, what beliefs you had. There was a nasty turn in New York. It impacted the world. There's a lot of people out of their way, and we're going to do what we should be doing, pull together and get us through a problem. As a colleague of mine once said, there's no real problems. Some things just take longer to figure out than others. And you know, every, all of us did what we were capable of doing. And you know what? It worked. So there you have it. We hope you've enjoyed our journey bringing you the story of how a little idea for a musical went from a small college workshop to the international multiple award winning show that has caught the imagination of audiences around the globe. It has been our immense pleasure meeting everyone involved in Come From Away. From the creatives, to the Come From Aways themselves, to Newfoundlanders, and the companies of those who play them. We'd like to thank them all for contributing and letting us backstage to bring you their stories. And we have to thank Junkyard Dog Productions, Smith & Brandt Theatricals, Luke Shires Marketing, and everyone behind the scenes at Come From Away. And to all of you. Thank you for listening, and we sincerely hope you enjoy this series of an incredible musical. And maybe when you next see Come From Away, you'll get a deeper appreciation of just how special this musical really is. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.